Welcome back to Bill's Chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going? Ah, breathing a sigh of relief tonight. You know, it was another fantastic Sunday of football, and uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a relaxing day at my household. You know, no, I'm just yeah. kidding. It was, it was a stressful one o'clock hour, that's for sure. And uh, can't wait to get into that game that we will discuss today. All this talk about, hey, the Bills can't win close games. The Bills can't can't win close games. They finally win a close game. Folks, can we go back to having these blowout wins? Because I was stressed. I was sweating through my shirt. I don't need that in my life. I have enough stress in my life. I don't need the football team being responsible for me losing more hair off the top of my head. But Luca, this was a fun football game to watch. And I think much like the Dolphins game last week, if you can pull yourself away from being a Bills fan and just put yourself in the shoes of somebody watching this as a neutral observer, I know there were some high scoring games, some games that went to overtime. I mean, we're going to talk. I mean, we may or may not talk about the Lions and the Seahawks game. That game was like 50 points each. But two weeks in a row now, I think given the stakes, given the quality of the two teams on the field, especially this game, given the two quarterbacks, I feel like the Bills have played in the two most entertaining games of the weekend. For sure. I mean, this one, I guess they weren't in a surprise going into each week. I think people, neutrals, whatever you want to call them, going into each game each week could probably agree that looking over that slate, Bills, Miami, and now Bills, Ravens, those were clearly the, I don't want to say must-see games. I mean, we're sitting here recording right now. There's a quality game on that's Kansas City, Tampa Bay on Sunday Night Football, and it justified to be in that slate and i'm sure a lot of people want to watch this game but when you look at the one o'clock slate and the four o'clock slates they the bills games were probably the most want to see the outcome want to see the results see how the games transpire yes the must watch game of the we'll call it regular football slate and um no it's not outlandish to say that at all and to be look we finished one and one in those and obviously we'll dive into the win that was this game earlier today but they were both very entertaining and both lived up to the billing of what you would have expected from those games. They had everything in them. And um, yeah, we're stress, just full of stress for anyone that had some fandom or anything involved in either game. Well, we're going to go through all the plays. Luca just mentioned the Bills won 23 to 20 in Baltimore this afternoon on a Tyler Bass field goal at the buzzer. Uh, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen put on a show in what ended up being a downpour rain. Luca, we did this last week, and I want to start this show off again with the same exact way. So before we dive in and we talk about plays, we talk about, and I do want to get into some big picture stuff about the Bills when we're done breaking down this game, because I think this bit, this win could be one that is huge for the ultimate goal of this team trying to push for that one seed. But I, what we did last week, after the dolphin game was I said, before we drill in and really like roll up our sleeves and dig into it, just tell me what were your thoughts when the game ended? What were your first emotions? I'm going to do the exact same thing right now. When Tyler Bass's field goal was good and you realize there's no penalties on the field, McDermott and Allen are celebrating. What was your first thought? Um, I was ecstatic. Mm -hmm. I, there was a lot of energy that exerted itself from my body. And, um, it was a, calm week uh a calm sunday at the uh lukashevitz household in my living room um it wasn't the usual packed house it was just me and my one friend 
who was not either at the game or dealing with something else today that they couldn't make it out. But uh, it was, I think we, we had a nice, aggressively firm chest bump and, you know, high five and felt good, let out a little bit of a, you know, yell. And um, there was, there was an exhale of excitement from that win because it, I can't remember obviously for obvious reasons, uh, that was a weird statement to make, but for <laughs> obvious reasons, we've won by double digits or lost close games. It was, it was a foreign feeling almost in a way to win a tight game, to win a game down to the wire like that, that it, it felt good. It felt new. It felt different again in a way that, um, yeah, I want, it's not like I mentally was like, oh, I want to enjoy this, but clearly my body and in, in, you know, internally wanted to kind of enjoy it and celebrate and do a little bit before then sitting back down and enjoying the four o'clock NFL slate. There was definitely a big sigh of relief and excitement coming out of my body and verbally, physically, everything. It was just like a nice deep exhale of excitement that we, it was zeros, bills win, everything's great in the world again. It felt really, really good. I think sigh of relief is the perfect way to describe it because at no point today until the final buzzer did the Bills have a lead in this game. And that's interesting because you think about how back and forth it felt and there really was like a tale of two halves where in the first half it was all Baltimore and the Bills managed to um, you know, weather the storm and stay steady and then go into halftime with a 10-point deficit. And then the second half, it felt like it was all Buffalo, but they could never get the lead. And then there was a sequence in the second half where they forced a turnover and it felt like, okay, this is where they're going to go in for the kill. And that's when the offense really sputtered. And then the, the Ravens go down for a long drive that just felt like the death nail and it wasn't. And so I think that's where the sigh of relief comes in. We're going to go through it all. I do, you know, I think, you know, sometimes it's best to go through things like, in the order that they happen. But Luca, I really want to start at the end of this game because one of the big stories of this game and that this team has been their inability to win close games. You and I have been on the side of, hey, winning close games, you know, sh there's a lot of randomness to it. There's a lot of luck to it. There's skill in winning blowouts because you're definitively the better team. And the Bills, like a one score game is, is defined by what the final score is. If you look at the game last year in Foxborough, the only reason it wasn't a one score game is because the Bills scored on their final possession to make it a two score game, but it was still a close game. You know, there's been other games similar to that where the Bills had a put away drive on offense that made it a two score game, but it was still a close game. What I loved, Luca, about this game and this the end of this game, we're going to go through everything, but I want to focus on that last sequence where the Bills then have the ball, the Ravens are out of timeouts at that point, and they're on the 10-yard line tied up at 20. And I even sent out a tweet from our podcast account, do not score a touchdown here because the last thing you want to do is give a dynamic player like Lamar Jackson the ball with an opportunity to answer Luca, I was so proud of the Bills, a team that for whatever reason gets ragged on for not being buttoned up in close games, for being on top of that scenario in that exact moment. And yes, Jason Oway, I, I know now he has a different first name. He's Jason Oway to me, uh, did tackle Devin Singletary. It can be up to you whether you think Singletary was going down anyway. It seemed like a lot of players on the Ravens defense were trying to get Singletary into the end zone. It looks to me like Singletary was falling down. And then at that point, 
Allen goes over and talks to McDermott after the last timeout, and you can see McDermott telling Allen, don't score. And from there, Allen essentially took two knees and set up the field goal. I was so proud of this team, Luca, for in the moment, not to be on top of exactly the sequence of what needed to happen. The only path for the Ravens to win at that point was for the Bills to score and then to have enough time to go down and score a touchdown. And it may not seem like much, but there are enough teams in this league every week that screw up scenarios like that. And if the Bills want to be a championship team, they can't screw up the layup scenarios like that. McDermott was on everything in that moment. Yeah, the final point you just made there or the final call out you just made there, McDermott and the coaching staff needs to get their props. Uh, Sunday night countdown right before this game tonight. Um, I say tonight, obviously everyone's listening Monday and further, but Jason Garrett pointed out that McDermott's name, I feel like in the national media in even just regards to what, you know, post-game reactions doesn't get brought up enough. And that's a moment there where coaching needs to step in and just make everyone on the team aware of the situation. You know, there's the joke, uh, I can't remember where I hear this from, situational situations, right? That is a situational situation of which you need to understand, do not score. We have the ability to just drain the clock and either take this to overtime or win the game, right? Because, I mean, again, let's remember, the kick is not going through until zeros. Effectively, if something cataclysmic happens on the snap, hold, and kick, um, maybe he doesn't make it. The good news is it wouldn't be for a loss. It would just be for a tie and going to overtime. Um, need to understand that. And yeah, absolutely. Everyone on the team is deserving of accolades and McDermott first and foremost, because especially in, if you think about it this way too, because this kind of popped in my head as you were talking, um, you take away the Miami game a little bit. That's it is what it is. It was a close game and stuff, but really the game that stands out that kind of fits into this mold a little bit was the last close game they played prior to that. And that is a divisional round playoff game against the Chiefs in which you could easily say that that sideline and that coaching staff may have not been delivering straight and clear messages to the team on the field in different situations to get that game locked down when they needed to. And we all know what happened from there. So this is kind of, in a way, a big kind of seal of approval, or at least like kind of a good sign that this coaching staff and communication and everything is actually happening in a good way, an effective way that can get games done when needed, when close, when tight. And it's, you know, there's a lot on the line. This is not, again, too much on the line. This is a week four game um, in a regular season, but it's at the house of an, a, a very formidable AFC foe that this game and the result that comes from this game could matter a lot down the road. And you're in a position as they were in that, you know, final two minutes and then final minute and a half, whatever you want to call it there, where Singletary goes down, blah, blah, blah. We all know the red end, right? Ball goes through. We win. That's a big win when it comes to down the road, what it could mean for this team and the playoff breakdown. So yeah, accolades and, you know, Congrats to everyone involved on getting that message across. I'm with you. Singletary was trying to go down. I, I don't know if anyone disagrees with that statement. And if they do, um, I can understand you thinking, oh, players want to play hard. But it's no, I'm. it clearly looked like a message was given there. And then Oea just kind of helped the cause, we'll call it, by doing whatever it was that he was attempting to do. I think I don't even know if you mentioned, but it even seemed like Ravens players were a little upset with him. Yeah. You know, as they went to tackle him or as he went to tackle Singletary or maybe even punch the ball out, whatever, engage Singletary in a way that a normal defensive player would. 
I'm also not going to fault Oea if if Singletary maybe he had the hindsight of knowing that Singletary looks like he's trying to give up and he's just like screw it if he's already trying to give himself up I'm just going to throw my body and fist at the ball and see if we can create something who knows what happened in that situation but regardless we know how the end happened and yes everyone involved needs to be kind of praised or at least given the thumbs up we'll call it that thank you for understanding the best way to handle that and making it happen great job Buffalo Bills. Great job, Sean McDermott. Everyone involved. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And there's an unselfishness that goes on there too, because these are still offensive players. And, you know, a lot of times it unfairly or not, they're judged on how many touchdowns they score. And a running back like Devin Singletary is not going to get a lot of opportunities to rush for touchdowns in this offense, the way it's set up. So you definitely appreciate that. And you're right. There was definitely a scenario. We showed a clip from our podcast account, tweeted it out. Marcus Williams, a safety for the Ravens, excellent, excellent player, by the way, um, was like visibly upset when Oway made the tackle. And there was a part of me that as that play is going on that I was like, I wonder if Oway um, was even going to try to like throw him into the end zone because that could have been one way to get around it. Uh, but yeah, so the Bills escape with a 23 to 20 win. And what's I think coming out of this game, two excellent teams, two teams that I think are almost for sure, barring like a catastrophe of injuries, which both of these teams are familiar with are going to be in the playoffs and have a really good chance of having round two in January. I feel like Luca, no matter who won this game, Baltimore or Buffalo, whatever team lost was going to have a lot of what ifs playing in their head tonight of different things that went against them. And I am just so, so happy that we are not on that end of the stick. 1000%. Yes. Win or loss either side. Yeah. I, I believe the Ravens right now, since they are on the losing side, have a lot of what ifs. And look, tip the cap to the Ravens. Their game plan out the gate and stuff was working perfectly. They had kind of a thing going here that we will dive much more into. But that first half had us feeling in a way that was terrifying and sad and laughable, even at moments that. I have to tip my cap to the Ravens, and that is probably what the Ravens are looking at going, what if, or if only, you know, in an, if only in the case of if only we could have kept doing what we were doing effectively. I don't know whether that's from the Bills at halftime doing what they needed to do more so than the Ravens just finding the ability not to get those open lanes anymore in the run game or whatever it may be. The ball just wasn't bouncing their way too, even at times as it was in the first half. Such, you know, stuff was happening in that first half that tipped the cap to the Ravens, but then also tipped the cap to the Bills to keep it where they were. And we'll dive into it, I'm sure, in a second. But I just want to say, like, first and foremost, like when it was at halftime 20 to 10, my friend looked over to me, he goes, we're down 10 and it feels even more lopsided. Do we feel good or bad about that? And I gut reaction just right out. It was almost like I didn't even process the words he just spoke to me was like, I feel great about this. I, I felt great about it because that felt like a first half where the bills could have easily been down 30 to 10. And, and even like that two minute drive was everything. Of course, I don't want to spoil the fun here. Cause I know you want to get into it and everything, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of like, the Ravens have to look at that first half in a weird way as a missed opportunity only because they weren't able to capitalize as much as they probably should have. And on top of it, weren't able to continue that success in the second half. So if the bills would have lost, it would have been a, what if we started not horribly 
But for the Ravens, unfortunately, in this game, or fortunately for the Bills fans, of course, um, it's a, you know, if only we could have kind of kept the foot on the throat deal or, you know, just kept it going. And they really just, that's two games now for the Ravens, by the way, that they have let legitimate first half leads just absolutely diminish and just go away and they've lost it. It's if you're a Ravens fan, you're a little concerned at this trend that is going on right now with these second half performances might be a little bit of a Greg Roman thing. I'm just going to throw that out there real quick. So you mentioned your conversation at halftime and how, how you felt about how you felt comfortable with only being down 10 points. And what I thought about at halftime, and we're going to, we're going to build up to there. So we're going to quickly get this out and then we'll go through what happened in the first half to get there. You mentioned the fact the Ravens have already blown a big lead earlier this this se- uh, season to the Dolphins two weeks ago on the same field. They've now lost two home games this year. <laughs> These are the two home games their fans have paid tickets for. Amazing. Um, and the Bills close it to 20 to 10 at halftime. The first thought I have is I bet there's a lot of une- uneasy Ravens fans now that are remembering what it felt like a couple of weeks ago. You know how it is as Bills fans. If if you've recently seen your team blow a game, hello, last week, the Bills against the Dolphins, you tend to be a prisoner of the moment and and think like, oh, this is what they're destined to do. You know how fans, how we are, we're irrational. So I'm sure there was when the Bills closed it to 20 to 10 and Luca mentioned the Ravens dominated that first half way more than a 10 point lead should have defined it as. That was a situation where I think a lot of Ravens fan and maybe some Ravens players started questioning some things. Let's go through the first half and just kind of talk about the avalanche of good plays for the Ravens and bad plays for the Bills. This game could not have started off worse for the Bills. Sean McDermott will never get credit for this because it worked out so horrendously for the Bills. The Bills won the coin toss, and McDermott elected to receive the ball. And normally the Bills are one of those teams that just defers, takes the ball in the second half. McDermott received the ball because he looked ahead on the weather forecast And he saw that the bad weather was about an hour away and he wanted to have his offense have as many drives as possible before the bad weather hit. And I love that strategy. Problem is three plays into the offensive first drive, the bills throw an interception uh, intercepted by Marlon Humphrey of the Ravens. The ball was tipped at the line of scrimmage. It didn't necessarily look like a true open window to Knox anyway, Uh, But Marlon Humphrey with interception sets up the Ravens inside their own 10-yard line. Lamar Jackson throws a little shovel pass to J.K. Dobbins for a touchdown. Um, The Bills come back, answer with a field goal drive, set up by a nice kick return by Isaiah McKenzie. And then right after that, the Ravens drive back down, score another touchdown, 14-3. to And I, you know, we're not going to go through every single play of this game, but I think this just tells the story of where we're at. So the bills get the ball back 14 to three, and you already know you don't have that security blanket of knowing you're getting the ball to start the second half. If you get the ball to start the second half, you can always in the back of your mind think, okay, if we can score before halftime, we're going to get the ball out of, out of the second half. You can kind of double dip, but the bills did not have that advantage. They're down 14 to three. The Ravens are getting the ball at halftime. So they take the field down 14 to three in what felt to me like the offense must answer. And the offense did the direct opposite of that. Devin Singletary fumbles the ball and the Ravens pick it up in there in the bills end again. So the Ravens are already in the red zone and the bills defense holds up and holds them to a field goal 17 to three. That felt to me, Luca, like a bullet dodged. Like, okay, if the Ravens could get it to three scores there, it would have felt like 
to me, three scores was always the thing that you didn't want this game to get to. Three scores just always felt like if it gets the three scores, and at one point it did, um, if it gets the three scores, it's going to be a little bit too much to overcome, especially with just how out of sync the offense looks. So I'm going to hit pause right now. It's 17 to three. The Ravens had just been held to a field goal, but from what we've seen from the offense so far, really the best offensive play at this point was an Isaiah McKenzie kickoff return. Um, where are your thoughts at in regard to what kind of day this is going to be? The mm, where to start here? Um, yeah, so tipped pick right out the gate. I just I do want to say something. I didn't in the moment realize what had happened with the coin toss and calling to receive. Um, I was still kind of, honestly, I was eating the lunch that had just showed up to my house that, um, I wasn't really trying to process that kind of in-depth information. We'll just call it. No, I, I just was like, oh, that's weird. We started to receive the ball. I, if that is truthfully the explanation, which I believe your words for that, um, I love it. I love it. Like you got to take every facet of the game into account and all that fun jazz. Uh, at this point though, now going into it, 17, three, when we held them to a field goal after another fumble and stuff, I was just, I don't want to say relieved, you know, because again, you just did something unfortunate. Um, Singletary just fumbles the ball and nothing looks like it's going effectively. McDermott has been known to throw guys in the doghouse a little bit. We saw it even week one with uh, James Cook. So my thoughts immediately after that play was like, can we not bench uh, Singletary, please? I know what you like to do, McDermott, but like, please, like, please nudge on the shoulder. Do not do this. Um, holding them to a field goal, though, it's like, okay, we can stop this offense. I think that's where my head was at, honestly. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I think that's where my head was at at that point. It was, I'm really concerned about the offense, but holy crap, this defense may finally be able to figure out how to slow the Ravens offense down because those first two drives for the Ravens, one, obviously, we gave them very short field, but that's that second touchdown drive they had. It was way too easy, way, way, way too easy, whether that's Roman just scripting up a perfect game script for them or whatever. It was, I mean, gap discipline <laughs> didn't exist like Lamar was just finding everything very easy in the passing and running game. My head is like, OK. If this offense can just do something, something, maybe we can still stay in this game. But that is the the key word in that statement is maybe, mm -hmm. because that's really where my at that point in time, whether whether McDermott wanted to admit it or not, because clearly he didn't after that halftime talk or whenever that report came out that he's like, oh, I'm not affected by the weather. It's like your team is affected by the weather, McDermott. It's okay. Like whether you just didn't want to do that because it's a scapegoat or whatever, I don't care. Like it was very readily apparent that weather was affecting the entire team. I think I screamed, you know, rip your gloves off 10 times because of the amount of drops that were going on. I know those gloves are great and tacky and stuff, but clearly not when droplets are hitting them on a regular bit, uh, occurrence. So let's uh, not use those things anymore. That's really where I don't I don't want to get too much more into it. But yeah, my head at 17 and three. Let me just go back and recap real quick. It's like, holy crap, we actually don't just allow them to score every every drive. Um, please do not let Singletary be in the doghouse. But 
how the hell are we really going to, maybe we got a chance to get back in this game, but how, how are we going to try to get back in this game? I really didn't know. I had no idea what to, exp- it was kind of where I was at the Miami game, right? When I said last episode that my head didn't really know where Josh Allen was. And I wasn't sure if I could truthfully trust that this was the regular Josh Allen. I found myself in a similar for different reasons, but in a similar mindset where I don't know where Josh is right now in this offense because they really haven't shown me anything that lets me at least have a bearing or understanding of where they are mentally and physically. I just didn't know where everything was. So the next drive, the bills are down by two touchdowns and they come out and they don't get much on first down on second. And I want to say six, they throw a five yard pass to Isaiah McKenzie, who then tries to make somebody miss, but ends up being short of the first down marker. It looks like he could have just fallen forward for the first down, but tries to make somebody miss. It is what it is. It's so much easier when you're sitting at home, seeing the yellow line on your screen versus a player on the field. So, and I trust Isaiah McKenzie in the open field 10 times out of 10. It was just bad, bad fortune on that play. But then Luca, this might've been my breaking point down 17 to three, third and one number 20 trots onto the field. Zach Moss whether it was the Devin Singletary, Zach doghouse or whatever from the fumble third and one Zach Moss up the middle, who was billed as this power runner. The bills were getting when they drafted him has yet to prove to be a power runner in his three years in the NFL tackled for a three yard loss and the bills punt. I was so deflated at that point, but I hadn't given up yet because it was t- still two scores. The Ravens take over. The bills have a couple of good defensive plays. It's now second and 19. And you're thinking, okay, Now we can still get the ball back because all you're thinking is we're down by two scores. Can we just get the ball back and find a way to put some points on the board before halftime and put some doubt in there? Second and 19, Von Miller and Shaq Lawson both beat their blockers and it looks like Lamar is cooked and they meet at Lamar. Lamar makes them both miss, spins out of it, throws what looks to be a prayer pass to Mark Andrews, who is just covered by Matt Milano. Milano jumps up to intercept it. It bounces off his hands. And then Devin Duvernay, who was nowhere near the play, shows up, catches it, and miraculously gets two feet down inbounds, gives them a first down. At that point in time, I was just like, okay, I don't think this is the Bills' day because they had the perfect defense called, had the perfect player. I mean, you could probably count on one hand the amount of defensive players you'd want to have a chance to intercept a ball there. Matt Milano doesn't. It falls right to Duvernay. And then the Ra- and you're thinking, man, the Ravens are just going to go down and score here, and this game's going to be over. But I will tell you, as defeated as I felt at that point, there was a glimmer of hope where the Ravens are driving down. And we, I feel like, Luca, we mention this guy's name every week. Gregory Rousseau breaks through for a sack that kills the drive, holds them to a Justin Tucker field goal. It's now 20 to three. By the way, I saw the stat sheet after the game. Gregory Rousseau only got credit for a half of a sack. NFL, you got to reevaluate that. That was all Rousseau. Um, He needs a full sack for that one, but that's neither here nor there. It's 20 to three. The Bills get the ball back with about a minute and a half left. And that's when Josh Allen does what we all were waiting for, drives them down, Gets a touchdown to Isaiah McKenzie. There was a dropped Stefan Diggs touchdown along the way that had us all a little bit deflated. But the Bills, after seemingly a series of unfortunate events this entire first half, cap off the first half with a touchdown to McKenzie. The Bills go into halftime 20 to 10. And Luca, we're at that moment that you talked about with your friend where as bad as it seemed, as much of a fire as it felt like, and as much as the Bills could knock it out of their own way, 
we had a football game on our hands because of the fact that this offense can just score anytime they have the ball, even on a day when they don't have it seemingly figured out of strategically what they want to do. Yeah. It, when the two minute drive happens and it goes as well as you could have hoped, basically take away that digs drop. That is just, I mean, it's an anomaly, right? It is you. It hits the diamond of his catch hands, like I mean, whatever you want to call that, the diamond, right? It hits in between his hands. That thing sticks to his hands 10 out of 10 times. Well, clearly 10 out of 11, but it sticks to his hands almost every time. And even Diggs drops that ball. If you take that away from that two minute drive, it goes basically as well as you wanted. That right there was the moment when McKenzie went across the goal line and we scored our first touchdown of the game on that drive. That was the moment finally where my head was like, okay, Josh Allen is Josh Allen this game. Our offense is still our offense. This Zach Moss crap needs to stop. Let me just agree with you on that. But that drive was so well done, we'll call it, and very methodic and just perfectly executed that there was a hope there was there was more hope in me following that drive than how I felt going into that final drive in the Miami game last week there was something about that drive that just instilled so much confidence in me as a fan that I'm like okay as you pointed out you know that discussion and that's probably where that I mean I didn't even process the question from my friend and instantly I was like I feel good I feel good about being down 20 to 10 because you also pointed out that Russo sack didn't realize it was only half a sack on the stats. That's a shame. It's definitely a full sack, whatever uh, we digress. Hmm. Um, so that happens. It's another drive of which this defense figured it out when they needed to held them to a field goal. And now you're starting to trend in the right way, right? You you've held them to back-to-back -back field goals. And now you just had a nice two minute drill going down scoring and it's only a 10 point game. It's a two score game, but only 10 points. That is kind of where the hope and belief was like, this is a team that can come back on this day in these circumstances, even all of that aside, this team can come back. This team can make something happen. If they can just continue to build on that, make the adjustments that I know this coaching staff and this team has shown they can do at half times of games and really lock things down. I was all until the final whistle, right? Until the zeros hit the clock, you're always worried about Lamar. Lamar is a one of one, just like Josh Allen's a one of one. They do it similarly and differently all in the same way, right? They are just freaks. They are unbelievable talents at the quarterback position. So until the zeros are on the clock, you're always worried about Lamar. But I'm like, Maybe this defense can figure out a couple little tweaks, figure things out defensively to kind of even limit them more because they're kind of figuring it out already on the fly in that first half with those final two drives. And then this offense just found something in success with that in the two minute drill. I think I even mentioned it to my friend too. I was like, whatever they found was working on that drive, whether like if they would have come out in the second half and just gone no huddle all the time, I would have been all for it. I'd have been like, screw it. That's the only thing that had worked at that point in time. If that's what your halftime adjustment is, I'm all in. Let's do it. Let's just do no huddle all the entire second half. I don't care. That would almost show a sense of urgency and an acceptance that this is the only thing working today. So let's make it happen. Right. They, they didn't do that, you know, when it comes to just all no huddle, but 
I felt like things we then, as we'll get into it, in the second half you saw were really built off of the few plays we saw on the on that two minute drill that were very successful. The style routes, the the the, the what you call it, the personnel groups, everything like that. They it seemed like they changed what they wanted to do offensively in the second half based on what worked in that two minute drill, and that's awesome. That's a, that right there was something that I felt. That's what great teams do. Great teams understand that. On different days, different things will work and different things won't. And they finally kind of put that key in the keyhole and unlock something that was going to work today. So let's build off of that. Let's build the momentum and keep it going in the second half, hopefully. And I feel like, as we'll discuss, that's really what that two-minute drill sparked leading into the rest of the game. Coming out of halftime, the Bills did not have the balls we mentioned, but the Ravens go three and out. The Bills get the ball back, go down, get a field goal. So now it's now cut down to a 20 to set 20 to 13 uh, game, one score game, and the Bills get the ball back. And this is where, to me, the game really swung in favor of the Bills. And this was kind of a, a concerning drive for the Bills as they drive down to tie the game up on what ended up being a Josh Allen touchdown run. Um, Isaiah McKenzie gets injured on this drive on a very scary hit to the head. Um, he is in concussion protocol. He was uh, celebrating after the game and, and jumping up and down. So, I mean, that's at least good for, from that regard. But, you know, concussions are very serious. We'll see what happens. This is not the Miami Dolphins. The Bills will take it very serious. I would not be surprised if McKenzie, <laughs> I see Luca laughing about that line. Hey, it is what it is, Dolphins. If you're, if you're looking for sympathy, you're not going to get it from me. Um, it's going to be tough to see McKenzie come back out there. And then earlier in the game, Jamison Crowder was ruled out with a leg injury and was actually in a walking boot after the game. I say that to set up the fact that it's set up a situation where with the bills down by seven, they lose McKenzie, they lose Crowder. Here comes that fifth round pick Khalil Shakir on the field. Luca, one of my favorite moments of this game. And I was in a DM was Stokes who you've heard on this show several times. One of my favorite moments of this game was the quick pass to Shakir when he first comes in the game. That is Ken Dorsey understanding the situation perfectly. I've got this rookie player in a huge game who now is going to be very important to the Bills for the rest of this game, and he's been on the sidelines watching. He gets the ball in his hands on an easy completion and just gets him feeling the flow of the game. And it was a nice run and catch. And you could see uh, Shakir was holding two hands on the ball after seeing so many drops and how slick the ball was. But I cannot say enough there about Ken Dorsey having the wherewithal and the thought process of I have to get him involved, give him an easy catch. That way he, he's just ready to roll. Because if if he just goes out there for a couple drives, doesn't get any targets, how do you know if he's ready? And he came up bigger down the stretch too. But at that moment, Luca, I, I got to give Dorsey all the credit in the world. I loved seeing Shakir in there. The, if the circumstances that came to lead to it were not great. It was like, oh shit, we're really down to three wide receivers for the rest of this game. That is not a place we want to be. I mean, especially when Gabe Davis is in the you know physical stature that he is currently. We don't know what that is. He was obviously on the injury report all week. He was playing, but what is going on now that it's been two weeks that he's been on that injury report? You know, we know it's an ankle injury, but still, there was even a he tweaked it during the week, right? So we'll we'll call it. We were playing with two point seven five wide receivers, and yes, that moment where it was like immediately just throw it out quick to Shakir, 
get him into the game, get him touching the ball, give him a live rep to at least feel it out. Um, I will say that wasn't the first or maybe it was the first moment, but that wasn't the only moment that I noticed someone doing that like high hold or at least two hands just really tight on the ball in that second half. There was clearly an emphasis on that in the locker room, I feel like. There was something that was said like, do not lose that bleep ball. Do not drop it. Do not lose it. Hold on to the dang ball. Like that was definitely something that was said in that locker room. And Shakir, understanding the moment and everything, understood I cannot screw this up. And he turned it into a very, what, what was it? Ten. It was a first down off of it too, right? I believe it yeah, was at least the first down. Yeah. Big play. yeah, I was going to say it was like net 10 yards at least. Um, it was a big moment and it was exciting to see a young, day three pick rookie come in and make an impact at least of some variety just right out the gate and go and just feel the moment and as you mentioned even come up big later on in the game where it was like we need this guy because we just don't have any other options and Khalil Shakir is a guy that now (laughs) he only had a few catches and it was for unfortunate circumstances but he is going to be someone now that I am going to be looking at that actives inactives and hoping that this may, because he came up big for the team when we needed him, may all of a sudden see him be activated over maybe someone else that probably shouldn't be active on game days unless needed. We'll dive into that. Um, Shakir needs to get more looks. He needs to get more eyes, gets more opportunities, because it's not like he did anything special, but he showed up when we really needed him when I don't know how much he expected to be an impact. I mean, he had to return punts even because of Crowder's being out. Like he needed to come up and not screw up when basically it's, it's like someone coming in cold. It's just getting off the bench after doing nothing in the first half, zero snaps and boom, you're now going to be catching every punt whenever that happens. And you are going to be wide receiver three for the rest of this game. Congratulations. Here's your moment. Don't screw it up. And yes, props to Dorsey for right out the gate, giving him something simple to feel the game and get into the game. And that's awesome. And he he maximized every opportunity he had. That's that's all that needs to be said. I mean, Shakir, just awesome. Great, great job. And I look forward to moments coming up in the future with Shakir because I feel like they're coming. Well, wide receiver three is a big spot against the Ravens too, because of the fact they have Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, you need your wide receiver three to win his matchup. And so that was a big spot for Shakir to come in. So the bills tie it up. We're not going to go through the play by play here. You guys all watch the game. We're giving you credit for that. If you're listening to a post game show, but along the way, there were some big plays by the defense, a Jordan Poyer interception that I will admit Luca, I missed. (laughs) this was one of those moments where I just really missed time, a commercial break. And I was so wrapped up in the bills game. I realized I hadn't checked on my fantasy teams um, all day long. And I was like, I'm going to check on my fantasy team. So I switched over to the Sunday ticket channel that has the eight games on at once. And I wanted to see what was going on in other games. And it was, and I had missed time, the commercial. And so I'm looking down I'm thinking, okay, I need, I need X, Y, and Z. I still have Josh Allen going, so I'm good. And then I look up and I see a, and a little tiny box that the Bills Ravens games on expecting to see it maybe coming back from commercial. And I see all the defensive players celebrating. I'm like, oh God, what did I miss? And then of course I'm doing that thing in my head where I'm like, should I watch the rest of this game on this channel? Cause it's good luck. But obviously I didn't. Um, Prince Amelie has a ball go off of his head, bounced up in the air and Jordan Poirier with a very, very 
very big interception for this team that the Bills went out and did nothing with. But that was very deflating for me at that point because you tied it up 20 to 20. Poyer gets the interception. The Bills get the ball at midfield with a chance to take the lead. And the way the offense was rolling at this point, there was not even a thought in my head that they weren't going to get points out of that drive. In fact, I was already kind of thinking like, okay, can the defense stop Lamar one more time? We're going to win this game. And then it was like the quickest three and out you ever saw in your life. And then Sam Martin comes out, kicks the coffin corner punt. And then we got into the sequence we just talked about where the Ravens drive down, um, get to fourth and goal. I will tell you, Luca, I want to talk. I want to have a quick conversation about the Ravens here, but let's go ahead and finish the sequence up. Um, They get to fourth and goal. They decide to bypass the field goal, which I applaud them for. I I don't think a field goal is the move there. I think you trust your, your guy Lamar to get it done. And the bills are all over it. Interestingly enough, the two rush ins on that play on fourth down were Gregory Rousseau and Shaq Lawson game on the line. Von Miller wasn't in there at rush end. I think that says a lot about what this team thinks about Shaq Lawson as a read option defender for Lamar Jackson and his, his ability to contain the run. And I think maybe they thought that that was going to be in play there on that fourth down Jordan Poirier with a big interception there. And the thing about that interception is a lot of times on fourth down, you don't want your guys to intercept the ball because you can lose field position on that scenario. He saved the bills about 20 yards of field position because if he had just knocked it down, the bills would have taken over on their own four yard line instead of having the breathing room to the 20. That's when the bills drive down. And to me, we can talk about this last drive here. Um, There was just an incredible escape by Allen where Jason away had him wrapped up and then Allen shoves him down and then rolls out and then finds Shakir on the sideline. There was a, a, roughing the passer penalty on the Ravens that I will admit was kind of soft, but the refs were all over the place. This game bad for both teams. I thought the refs got in the way of this game way too much. Very similar to the bills last year on Sunday night football, when you had bills chiefs and it felt like the refs were just in the way. Um, Very ticky tack call there that puts the bills in that situation where they're driving down a screen pass to Devin Singletary, where you got a huge block by Dawson Knox and Shakir on the outside to essentially set up, that game-winning scenario we went through, and the Bills get the Tyler Bass field goal. One observation, Luca, I came away very impressed with John Harbaugh, and I'll tell you why. There was a sequence in this game where when the Bills tied it up at 20-20, to the Ravens get to fourth and one on their own 35, and you know, 99 coaches out of 100 are going to punt in that scenario. You're on your own 35, and Harbaugh, I think, is reading the game correctly. The Bills' offense is awake. Like Josh Allen has been unlocked and he knows his team has to go punch for punch with Josh Allen. And he allows Lamar Jackson to go for it on fourth down and get the fourth and one. And also that end of game sequence that didn't work out. I I'm somebody that wants to judge the strategy, not the result. Did you like the strategy as a bills fan? I wanted the Ravens to kick that field goal at the end because I felt very confident Josh Allen could get them into field goal range and maybe even get them a touchdown. When they went for the touchdown, I was very nervous because Lamar Jackson is a unicorn of a quarterback and very hard to stop in that scenario. I applaud John Harbaugh for being aggressive, reading the room of this game and realizing as that game played out, his offense was going to have to win the day and the the Bills defense just stood up and made plays. Yeah, I don't understand anyone that would question John Harbaugh's decision on fourth and goal. I wouldn't I wouldn't understand it. John Harbaugh 
one, first and foremost, do not question a Super Bowl winning, very established and uh, respected coach of his nature in any situation. But I'm with you. Both the early fourth and one at his own 35 um, and then the fourth and goal, those are great spots and great coaching decisions on his part to go for it. And obviously the one worked out and the fourth and goal didn't. A field goal in Harbaugh's mind doesn't really do much for him. Yes, it puts a little pressure on there. I mean, you want another great example? I just already mentioned this former NFL coach once, but Garrett, again, on Sunday Night Football said, I would have kicked the field goal to put the pressure back on the Bills. There's a reason that Jason Garrett is not an NFL coach anymore. Yes, Jason Garrett would have kicked that field goal, put the three points and the pressure back on the Bills. The only problem is the pressure you're putting it on is Josh Allen, and that effectively does nothing because they're going to get the ball back You know, at the 25, you would think. if it's a, it, Let's assume it's a touchback here. You're getting the ball back at the 25. And fourth and goal, you have a guy like Lamar who – I mean, it's not like he's been having a bad day. It seems to have stalled out a little bit in the second half, but you're not having a bad day. And you just drove at this point. It's a 93 yard drive, 93 yards, right? You need two more yards after 14 plays and 93 yards of getting into this position. And you're staring down, as you put it, unlocked Josh Allen. Yes, you go for this because in your mind, you're not thinking Lamar Jackson's going to throw an interception for a touchback. At worst, it's going to be an incompletion. And now the Bills are stuck at the two yard line and have to drive somewhere to get points. And they would have to drive effectively 60 yards to even get something of a field goal chance and probably more realistic on the day, 70, 75 yards. So, no, that's it. That's absolutely what you do. Just, I mean, Let's look at it this way, too. That interception by Poyer, that second interception there, was a great interception and great awareness. If you watch that replay, as they even showed it, uh, who is it in the back? Was it Duvernay or was it? Um, I think it was Duvernay. Yeah. He's open. I mean, he it, when Lamar sees him, he is open. Poyer just snapped his head around and did the oh shit and just booked knowing that he's an open guy and Lamar, if he didn't see him at that very second that Poyer spotted him, he's going to see him very, very soon as he knows Lamar is starting to roll out that way. Luckily for Poyer, it was a lollipop of a throw and he just got there in time to make the interception. That is not something Harbaugh needs to think as and consider as an option. That is not what you're, that's a, what? let's call that a one in 50 chance of happening. It's not a likely scenario that that is what happens. Bills get the touchback and get it at the 20 and you got zero points. That is not something that you would conventionally think would be happening in that scenario, especially with a guy like Lamar. So it, it, it was great for the bills and, and I'm with you too, by the way. So third and goal unsuccessful it's fourth and goal. I immediately in my living room was like, they're going for it. Mm -hmm. Like I, I said it out loud and, and my buddy's like, I don't know. Like you, you kind of want to get the points. Are you sure? And I'm like, they're going for it. It's Lamar Jackson. They're going for it. Like Harbaugh is a great coach and I love Harbaugh as a coach. And I immediately knew, especially go, if you go for it on that drive on your own 35 for one yard, you're going for the effective win slash tie to go into overtime here at the two yard line. You're not, you're not turning. There's no turning back now, baby. Like you got to go for that. 
And I respect everything out of Harbaugh and him to, he, he doesn't need to answer that question from anyone. I do not need to hear him explain his reasoning. He doesn't need to explain it. That's called good football decision-making. That's what that is. If you don't know that you don't understand situational football, that's just end of line. That's how it works. Respect to him. It didn't work out for him. It worked out for the bills and all of us. Thank you, God. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think any Ravens fan or Ravens should question John Harbaugh on that decision. That is absolutely 1000% the decision to be made there in that time. When you have a comeback that a lot of things have to go in your favor to do so. Yes. The offense has to wake up, but the defense, which was outpossessed by the Ravens, the defense was on the field for 38 minutes in this game and kind of like a direct opposite of what happened last week against Miami. The defense gave up zero points in the second half, Luca. There were so many notable plays. One, Matt Milano had 13 tackles, a career high for him. Tremaine Edmonds was all over the field. We already mentioned Jordan Poyer with his two interceptions. Uh, Gregory Russo with, I'm going to call it a full sack, but you know, half a sack, whatever. Dane Jackson just being on the field and really just solidifying that secondary. I cannot wait to go back and rewatch this game with the eye in the sky and see how Kair Elam played because it seems like at least the last two weeks, nobody is even challenging him on the outside, and that's very exciting. And then guys like Shaq Lawson who have to step in due to some of the injuries on the defensive line. We're going to get into game balls here in a little bit, Luca, and I don't want you to spoil anything if your game ball is going to somebody on defense, but... When you think about this game and even someone like DeMar Hamlin, who's going to step into that role for Micah Hyde, which I think caught it caught me off guard. I thought that was going to be Jaquan Johnson's job. And DeMar Hamlin played so well last week when Johnson and Hamlin were out there that he ended up winning the job to play next to Poyer. When you go back and think about this, is this just a Leslie Frazier McDermott thing? Is there one particular standout on defense that really jumps out to you? Or is this just an elite defense with elite players playing like an elite defense. It's a combination of all those things, really. Um, I'm not going to tip my hand to game balls because I may in this segment, <laughs> wink, wink. But um, yeah, I credit needs to be given to McDermott and Frazier, first and foremost. But then you have to have the players that are smart enough, which I think is something that people overlook all the time. We love to be enamored by physical attributes and all of those things. You have to be smart. You have to, to especially in a defense like this, you need to understand your role and position and what you're accounting for. Like it's, it's a, it's not rocket science, but it's not simple either. Like if this was a simple defense, good teams would shred them. That is not happening because this is a complex defense clearly, and you need to be smart and up to the task. And clearly DeMar Hamlin, I'm actually surprised you made that comment. I didn't, I actually, when Someone posted about it, I think. I can't remember where. Maybe you retweeted a tweet. Something happened pregame that was DeMar Hamlin starting with Poyer, and it's not Johnson. I actually agreed with that move, and I was like, yeah, DeMar Hamlin's the guy that I would put in that position. I just think he kind of, I don't know how to say it, but he kind of fills that opposite of Poyer better. I think he would. Johnson kind of is a little bit more of a boom-boom player to me. You know, whatever you want to think that means go for it but um yeah i just he i feel like there's more liabilities and coverage with johnson maybe at this point in time than there are with demar hamlin i'm not saying demar hamlin's a coverage expert by any means he's a backup although he's a backup to an all pro 
that's neither here or there. Um, I just thought he was a better fit for being opposite Poyer because Poyer has a little bit of a boom, boom in him himself. He's just also really good at that coverage thing too. You don't get two picks because you're bad at coverage. Um, but I was, I was happy with that call and to, it's, we were discussing in DMS about, you know, potential players that maybe Bean could target or look at as a, you know, veteran safety presence for just this season, kind of as a stopgap Phil, you know, Phil, if we needed, that was a performance, not that it was anything exceptional, but that was a performance between Miami and holding their own. And now this with DeMar Hamlin again today, that kind of has me retracting that mindset a little bit and going, maybe they're going to just trust these guys to keep doing what they trust them to be able to do and put them in successful positions to make things happen. Because honestly, and I don't mean any disrespect in this comment, I don't once remember making a comment about DeMar Hamlin this game. Not once. And I feel like that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like an offensive lineman situation in this. Like, if I don't point out or remember or even recall hearing the name of a lineman, that's a good thing. That means you did good on the day. You did your job. You are the unspoken hero of the day kind of deal. And I do not recall once going, oh, I wish DeMar would have made that play there or he got burnt there or he honestly, I don't even remember complimenting him either, but that's not a bad thing. He was clearly there. I mean, he's he's involved. He You kind of have to be, especially as a safety in this defense, you have to be involved. That's just how it always worked. Um, but yeah, it's that's that's all down to coaching, but also just being a great player in yourself. That is DeMar Hamlin and all these other players coming in and doing their jobs. I don't want to just single out DeMar Hamlin and that, you know, like Dane Jackson needs to get accolades and stuff for even playing. You know, we know what we have in him, but he just two weeks ago was ambulanced off. Um, there were practice squad players that were still somewhat involved in this game. Like there, there are players again, that just, you wouldn't expect to be starting in this position right now. And they're at least holding their own. And that's, I, I read one tweet and I'm not going to call out who it was. I don't even remember who it was. That's mainly why I'm not going to call it out. But I remember reading one tweet at one point as I was clearing the notifications, thanks to your lovely live uh, Twitter tweeting that randomly like called out one of our practice squad guys, one of our corners. And I'm like, dude, if you need to be calling this guy out and being like, oh, I don't like him out there. It's like, look, consider where he is in his, like where he is in the pecking order and how he finds himself in this position right now. If that you have to single him out once this game and that's it, honestly, that's a pat on the back performance to me. Like you are not a player that's expected to play a lot in the NFL at that point in your career. And here you are playing for effectively one of the best defenses in the league and needing to play well as we find ourselves dealing with a good amount of injuries and luckily, he did a good enough job. And look, I'll end it here. Coaching does a great job. Players do a good job. Everyone needs to come together to do a great job. And that's where we have found ourselves both last week with Miami, because I want to say it again, the defense played well last week in Miami, but then they did it again healthier, but did it again and stepped up, whether it was the defensive tackles that had to come up and play or the few DBs that were up and playing right now again this week that needed to just do their jobs as best as they could. And that's exactly what they gave us. And just kudos hat tip of the cap to you guys, like great job. Once you just held Lamar Jackson, zero points in the second half and 20 points in total on this game. 
with a short field half the time for those points that were scored. Very, very well done. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna see round two of this in January. I think we're gonna get Bills Ravens again at some point. These two teams are two of the best teams in the conference. And that is gonna be one topic we talk about here when we spin it forward. I do have a couple of big picture Bills topics I want to get to, but let's put a bow on this game, Luca. Uh let's get let's hand out some game balls and game checks awards. Uh for those of you that aren't familiar with this segment, game balls will go to the player on the bills or if you want to the ravens that stood out above the rest in this game and deserves mention for their performance and then game checks is somebody that didn't even need to show up today they played so poorly that we are going to demand they hand in their game checks not for real it just it sounds good so luca who gets your game ball for this win over the ravens in week four there's definitely a few guys that stand out a little bit. Um, I'm not going to start blasting names in case, you know, you want to choose one of these individuals. But I seem to be sitting here, and I said this already once this season, that I cannot believe I am going to name the individual of which I will be naming because I'm going to now say it in this way. Coming into this season, I did not view this player to the high stature that they have been playing up until this point. And they... Look, I know there's a lot of fans out there that defend this individual. There are other fans that still don't want to defend this individual or don't want to see this individual being successful as they are. But things need to be said now about this individual, and he is getting a game ball for the second time out of four weeks from me. That individual is Matt Milano because yet again, has Matt Milano. So first half, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, gap assigned, you know, gap discipline and defense as a whole for Lamar Jackson was abysmal. It was, I, I, I yelled gap discipline. I think I've been yelling gap discipline since the like 2014 Arizona Cardinals <laughs> when watching teams like that, just being so bad against the run, just ingrained what good gap discipline is in me because that's not it. And in the first half of this Bills game, like it was just non-existent. There was no, you know, keeping the edge, like interior defensive line was just leaving wide open holes in the middle of the line for Lamar to run out. And then, you know, you'd watch Tremaine Edmonds or Milano just over pursue something for no effing reason, right? Second half happens and Milano. I don't know the exact number, but I feel like it was at least three, maybe even four times in the open field, both was disciplined enough to do his job with whatever run gap he was part of or be disciplined enough to not ever let Lamar truly get the edge on him. And that needs to be pointed out and told how great that is, that how huge that was, because in the first half, it was non-existent. And that right there is probably the reason that the Ravens didn't score a single point in the second half, because Matt Milano just buckled down and did not let this freak athlete, MVP-like athlete, get the edge on him and then brought him down when he was in his tackle bubble. He just made sure Lamar was not running past him. And that alone deserves my game ball. He's the best tackler on this team. I don't even know how close it is. I mean, like there's guys pound for pound, like Teron Johnson is a great tackler for his size, but Matt Milano is just the type of person that when you see a ball carrier one-on-one with him, even if it's somebody as dynamic as Lamar Jackson, you feel good about his chances of getting him to the ground. The play that sticks out to me from Matt Milano was right before that fourth down play that the Ravens missed in fourth and goal that ended up setting up the Bills game-winning touchdown drive. Milano knifes through a gap and knocks Dobbins down for a two-yard loss because the Ravens were on the one-yard line. 
bumped him back a little bit and then set up the situation where the Ravens uh, could not convert there on fourth down. Uh, Milano's a great pick. Now, I put you in a tough spot. You had to go first, so you didn't want to start naming off some honorable mentions. I will mention some honorable mentions here just because of the fact that you can't name everybody. Um, I think we've gotten to a point with Josh Allen where it's kind of like Michael Jordan on the Chicago Bulls of the 90s. You could give him the MVP every year and feel like, okay, he probably deserves it. Josh Allen for sure deserves a game ball this week. He put the team on his back, let a game-winning drive, had a couple of eye-popping plays. Um, you know, Khalil Shakir coming off the bench and making a couple big plays. That certainly is game ball worthy. Mitch Morse, look how much more co- cohesive the offensive line looked. Um, I actually really thought about giving it to Sean McDermott for the way he handled the end of game situation. I also love what he did with the opening coin toss. Dane Jackson, how do you not love a guy that two weeks ago was carted off and looked like maybe his career was in jeopardy? comes out, starts a game, plays start to finish, locks down his side of the field. Just an absolute warrior out there. And then, you know, I'm gonna also going to mention, um, you, you mentioned Matt Milano. I'm going to mention Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds was all over the field today. And I will tell you, there was a conversion on that last drive of the game where Lamar had Tremaine Edmonds in the open field and Lamar got a first down. And I am just thinking to myself, oh my God, this is going to give fuel to the Edmonds haters that he couldn't get Lamar down in the open field. I'm telling you people, the amount of open field Lamar had there, there is not a linebacker in the league that is chasing him down with that much open field. Um, Edmonds played out of his mind today, and he certainly deserves a game ball. But to me, when you have a guy who's playing hurt, who saw his football BFF go off the field for the rest of the season in Micah Hyde, comes out, solidifies the defense, team leader, Jordan Poyer, two interceptions, two big spots for those interceptions, both in the second half. And Jordan Poyer, to me, um, is such an important person on this defense now. I think he's up there with Von Miller, up there with Tredavious White when he comes back as far as how important he is. And I, this is one of the things I want to get into in our big picture conversation, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Jordan Poyer gets my game ball for his performance today against the Ravens. All right, Luca, with the good, we got to have some bad. Who are you demanding hands in their game checks for this game? Uh, I think you're in the same mind as me. I don't need to lead anymore. Zach Moss, not even not even just hand in your game check. <laughs> Dude, pack your, pack your effing bags, Hand man. in your jersey. Dude, you are done. Like, there is not enough I can say, and I could honestly, like, and I, I believe you believe me when I say this, I could sit here for probably another hour and just rattle off absolute profanities and reasons of why Zach Moss should not be a face seen in Western New York ever again. This dude is effing useless. And I do not care if he does anything moving forward. I have seen enough in the past to know anything he does of success, whatever it may be, because I can't even imagine what it could be. Whatever it is, is a fluke. It's a joke. It's, it's a fugazi, man. It's not real. Like whatever, there, someone had to have screwed up defensively or he just got lucky if something successful happens with him because this dude cannot create anything. He can't be anything. He is useless. He should not be collecting an NFL check from anyone in the NFL. He should not be rostered by the Atlanta Falcons. He should not be rostered by the Houston Texans who still use Rex Burkheads. The, this guy is completely useless. 
anyone that is like saying he should still be dressed over James Cook, at least James Cook has other upside to him and he's just going through rookie pains or whatever you want to call it because you can give him that excuse right now. He's had four games of NFL career to his name so far. Like Zach Moss has shown us two plus seasons of nothing. I don't care about this guy. I never want to see him dress. This is obviously me just being aggressive. He will unfortunately probably still dress in the near future. I would love it if all of a sudden he becomes inactive for the rest of time. Dude, get the F off this team. Please, for the love of God, hand in your check. Do everything to just separate yourself from the Bills because you are providing this organization absolutely nothing. Yeah, uh, I just want to say ditto, uh, but I will say that um, I'm going to give my game check to every running back on the Bills roster who's not named Devin Singletary or Reggie Gilliam because Zach Moss and James Cook were both net negatives today. Zach Moss, as Lucas said, not a special back, no special traits, doesn't create anything on his own. Uh, Three carries for six yards, three too many carries. And then Devin Singletary had zero carries. Uh, one target and he dropped it. So we're, the Bills are just getting nothing right now. Absolutely nothing out of their two backup running backs to Devin Singletary. So I'm gonna I'm gonna split the game check and give it to uh, and demand it from Cook and Moss, if you will. And that leads me into the first big picture conversation, Luca. There were some rumblings out there this week by Boomer Esiason that the Bills should be interested in trading for Saquon Barkley. And, you know, on the surface, it makes sense. Like the Giants, despite the fact that they're a three and one football team are not necessarily a good football team. Right. And Saquon Barkley is in the last year of his deal. There's a natural connection there with Joe Shane and uh, Brian Dable, along with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. So you could see where if there's a deal to get done, they would get it done. And, you know, if you look at it on the surface, the Bills are not running the ball well at all. And Saquon Barkley is arguably at this point in time in week four of this season, the best running back in football. So there's a lot of dots you can connect there that say he would be a huge upgrade at a huge need for the Bills. Look, Saquon Barkley is an upgrade over every running back the Bills have on their roster, including Devin Singletary, and it's not close. They would be instantly better at that position, both as a dynamic playmaker, a weapon in the passing game, you name it. I do not believe, Luca, the issues with this running game necessarily start with the people carrying the ball unless Zach Moss is on the field. But I do think that ha- that upgrading any position is certainly a conversation worth having. I think that the issues in the running game right now have more to do with blocking scheme and blocking effectiveness. But when you look at the situation that the Bills are in right now, when Singletary comes off the field, especially when number 20 is back there, I try not to live my life in a negative way, but I'm telling you every time they hand the ball to Zach Moss, Luca, I'm expecting something to go wrong and I'm just happy that he doesn't fumble it or I'm happy when he doesn't lose yards. And it's almost like what the bills have done is they've traded a down for Devin Singletary to be able to catch a breath. I'm well aware that uh, Zach Moss had a long run last week against Miami and everybody got excited about it. The story of that run was Zach Moss missed that exact hole in the first quarter. And then that was the drive where he had two carries and then Josh Allen got sacked and fumbled. 
And then they beat into his head. Hey, the hole is off the right side of the line dummy. And he hits it in the third or fourth quarter at that point in time, it would have been the third quarter. And then he breaks off a long run down the sideline. It was perfectly blocked to Lucas point. He he doesn't create anything on his own. If you spoon feed him a perfectly blocked run, he can do something with it. But if he was even an explosive back, he could have scored on that play. Um, To me, he's such a negative. I don't know that I need the bills to go out and trade for Saquon Barkley, Luca, but I think I need them to start looking internally because Duke Johnson is on this practice squad. He's a proven effective player in this league. And I don't think Duke Johnson is like in the same conversation as the elite backs in this league. That's not what I'm saying. But if Devin Singletary is going to come off to catch a breather, I would much rather have Duke Johnson on the field. If it's not going to be James cook than Zach Moss. I would probably take literally anyone else available free agency from anyone else's practice squad. I mean, <laughs> yes, Duke Johnson sitting on our practice squad. Blackshear, uh, he was there. Now he's on Carolina. Just want to point out having to sit through that awful Arizona Carolina game. Uh, Blackshear, I don't think even sniffed the field. So don't ask how he's doing because he ain't doing anything. But um, I will take anyone over Zach Moss. Yes. Is Zach Moss is on the field. It's either clearly for pass pro or just to waste it down because you actually decided to hand him the ball. And I'm not sure why I'm with you on every point you made. It's like, what are we even doing that if we need to get Singletary uh, breather that we're doing Zach Moss and actually trying to do anything with him because nothing actually is going to come of it. It's just useless again. I, as I pointed out in the game checks part of this, I'd rather see James Cook just fail because maybe it's just going to be learning trial by fire, right? It's going to be something making him kind of figure out the NFL speed and figure out the NFL game and see what he's good at because he clearly shows that at least or at least where he stands currently provides this team more upside because it's something of upside than Zach Moss. Um, I'm actually more, I don't want to sound like I want to go out there and trade for Saquon because you're trading for a running back, but I am in the, I would really pick up that phone and be like, Hey, Hey buddy, what is the price currently for good old Saquon Sparkly? Like what, what do we have to do to interest you in sending him to Western New York? Just to diagonally from, you know, Northern New Jersey to Western New York. What what is it going to take? Is it going to take a third and then like a future pick with, you know, stipulations? What, what are, what do we have to do in order to, you know, make this possible? Because you mentioned it. Saquon is one of the best running backs in the league. And he is currently the league leader in rushing. I believe last I checked, and it's probably going to be that way for the rest of the year, even if he's still on the giants. I just want to point that out because everything says and looks like he is very back and he is doing this to the point that I was going to lead into with not that great of an offensive line there in New York slash New Jersey. He is doing this with nothing special around him. I mean, today he had a very effective game and literally put that team on his back against a very bad bears team. Yes, they lost. Um, He did everything he could with nothing around him. Daniel Jones ran it in for two scores, but then unfortunately got hurt, but was back. 
and there were no receiving weapons around. The Bears had to clearly just go, we cannot let Saquon Barkley beat us. That was clearly any team going into that game would have done the same thing. Unfortunately for the Bears, they just stink and they don't know what they're doing. And they did let Saquon and that Giants offense at least win the game for them. Um, I would entertain that because if if our offensive line coming back to the Bills now, if our offensive line is not doing great in the run game when it comes to just the job they need to do, and we don't have that player in the backfield currently, whether it's Singletary, uh, James Cook, or if you were to promote a Duke Johnson, I like the idea, by the way, of promoting a Duke Johnson's just to change it up and see what else you got. Um, I'm not even going to say Zach Moss's name because I, you know how I feel about him. I would love to see the idea of Saquon in this situation and try to get something out of that run game. It goes into the conventional uh, discussion that an individual in my living room today just believed. And I don't believe currently, but if we had a player like Saquon, then I would believe this. It's you still need to at least have them respect the running game. I am to the point with the running game with the bills where I don't give a shit if the defense respects us running or not, because running feels like a waste of time other than that block in this game today where Singletary was finally finding effective lanes and creating positive runs one after the other in the second half, nothing was coming out of the running game. And this was not the first game this season that that has happened. Actually, it's been pretty much every game that this has been happening. Um, yeah, we need to do something differently, clearly, whether it's figure out a different style to run in the running game or find someone else for this running game that could maybe provide something different and get something better for you because what we have is not good enough. If all of a sudden you have our boy Shane over there, uh, I might have, did I say his name? You right? got it right. Yes, let's go. I screwed Don't up. Don't question so much. yourself, Luca. Oh man, I screwed up so much that I <laughs> I very much questioned it. Uh you call up your bud Shane and you go, hey, a third and a future 2024 fourth that maybe could turn into a third if the Bills win a Super Bowl. How about that? How's that sound? I mean, if the Bills win a Super Bowl, take a first. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's calm it down. Take it easy. But, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, this is a guy that could easily just take free agency after the season. So that's kind of where my head's at third and a future fourth that could turn into a third. Shane says, yes, you just have to sign the dotted line. Who says no? I don't think that would be a smart decision to say no to something like that. Or even Shane suggests, suggests that and like beans like, okay, do I do this? Yes, you do that period. End of story. If, if that is possible, obviously we don't know what boomer knows. We don't, or sorry, not boomer. Uh, geez. Uh, we don't know what Sims knows. We don't know. No, it was if Boomer. Was, you need to stop oh, questioning yourself. Yeah. Man, I do need to stop questioning myself. <laughs> Sims I like and Boomer look a lot alike, by the way. It, it, yeah, they're similar quarterbacks yeah. in the past. Same, <laughs> There's a lot. Same <laughs> era. Like, that's an easy yeah. one to it mix was up. Boomer. Okay, good. Anyways, Boomer makes that statement. We don't know what he knows. We don't know if that came out of thin air, was created in the draft room kind of deal. You know, and I, when I say draft room, like, you know, where they're planning the show that they're about to broadcast, whatever. If that is something that is even being discussed on either side that he heard a whisper of, that makes me happy, not necessarily for the Saquon part, but at least that they're looking for something else. That is the most important part of this discussion. So to stop rambling, that is what is key. I, you know, you touched on it and I'm solidifying this point. Something needs to change, whether it's a person or whatever it is. 
I'm glad that if that thing stemmed from discussions of, hey, what is Saquon going to cost came about? Yeah, that makes me very, very happy because this running game sucks. And it is at the point right now where I'm like, can the running game just be your can the short passing game screen game, which, by the way, how often do we run halfback screens? Because we, we did a couple today and I was like, man, I feel like we haven't done a lot of that. If your running game is not working, that would be what I'd rather see right now as an extension of the running game, not of actual run, because actual runs are useless. There was was it the Zach Moss, I believe, third and one. I remember that happened. He takes the two yard loss. They show the replay. It wasn't all on Zach Moss. And I'll say it like this. Every single lineman for the Bills off the snap was pushed upright and one yard deep off the snap. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them just all around atrocious execution, just brutal. And so that's where I don't believe someone else coming in would just immediately fix it. But a guy like Saquon would definitely open some eyes and make some possibilities happen that I would heavily entertain an idea such as that. It's mind boggling how ineffective this running game is because everything is set up for this running game to be effective with as good as this passing game is defenses have to overplay the pass to defend against it. You factor in also Josh Allen as a threat to run the ball as well as any quarterback in this league, not named Lamar Jackson. They have to keep an eye on him. So there are just nothing but light boxes against the bills and they still cannot get anything going in the running game. I am concerned about it. And I don't know if trading for Saquon Barkley is the is the move that they will do quickly on Duke Johnson. I want to say, like, I understand that there's no room on the 53 man roster for him unless the Bills are willing to just admit their mistake with Zach Moss and cut him. They do have one option, though, where they could promote Duke Johnson from the practice squad on Saturday make Zach Moss inactive and then actually make um, Duke Johnson active. The problem is if Duke Johnson comes in and plays well, somebody could sign him off your practice squad. So you really have like one time of doing that to see what you have. I think at some point the Bills probably just need to admit that they were wrong on their evaluation of Zach Moss and that's okay, but he is holding them back when he's on the field. I do want to see the Bills get better at running the ball. I think we all do. And on the Saquon Barkley point, I'll just say this. I am never a fan in the NFL of seeing a team just take all their chips and push them to the middle of the table because I think there's too much randomness involved with the football playoffs. It's a one game and out situation. You never know what's going to happen. You don't want to shorten your long-term window by spending future assets on the now. What I will say though is I think the Saquon move is one we should keep our eyes open for, not necessarily just Saquon, but a move like that. I don't think Brandon Bean is going to take his first round pick next year or two first round picks and throw them at a player for, for a win now move. That's a win now push all the chips in sending a third or a third and a fourth that can be a future third. That's a sweeten the pot deal. That's not a push all your chips in. That's just adding a little bit more sweetener to that cup of coffee or cup of tea or whatever you have. I think that's a move the Bills are very much in play far this year because of the fact they went in all in on Von Miller and they know that Josh Allen is still relatively cheap right now. They can still figure out ways. They know that some of their guys on defense are getting a little older. It's the perfect time now to sweeten the pot and just see if you can get the team over the finish line. We've talked about it with Odell Beckham. 
a, a guy they could actually just sign without giving up a pick. We've talked about it here with Saquon Barkley. I think the Bills have the appetite to make a move or a couple of moves like that. Saquon makes a lot of sense. If the Giants are willing to play ball, I'd hope that the Bills are open to it. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you about quickly, Luca, um, Jordan Poyer. So we know the situation. Speaking of sweetening the pot, they gave him a couple million dollars a few weeks ago, um, basically as a way of saying, hey, we're not going to get this long-term extension done this this season. Let's just give you a couple million. Like, thanks for hanging out with us. We still respect you, but we'll revisit this this offseason. What an opportunity for Poyer. Because the one thing we could always say about Poyer is, yeah, the Poyer-Hyde safety combo is great. But is that more of a situation of like neither one of them are individually great, but together in McDermott and Frazier's system, they're great? For Poyer, you never want to see a player hurt, particularly a superstar like Micah Hyde. If he continues to play at this level without Micah Hyde on the field, he and his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, and his wife, Rachel Bush, and whoever wants to speak up for him are going to have one big I told you so pointed at the Bills this coming offseason. Um, yeah, the opportunity that Poyer has in front of him, as you just laid it out there is beautiful for him. And it's, it's eye-opening even as a fan to just be like, wow, it almost confirms that Poyer is that all pro player we know by himself and can elevate. That's, that's another key thing that needs to be brought up about Poyer. He is clearly elevating players around him and just able to bring it even more so when this team needs it. Because yes, as you said, you never want someone to be hurt. And this defense overall is better with Micah Hyde. But Poyer being there still is still huge. And it even shows the value of him individually where this game today, and if he can maintain, I mean, I'm I'm trying to like on the fly, bring up uh, stats right now because I really... Let's just say this about Poyer. I imagine he's going to be on the McAfee show. He loves to make appearances on there. He had another good game in a big Bills win that a lot of eyes were on. Um, He's probably going to be on the McAfee show. And McAfee has this whole thing with Poyer right now where he, since the first game, has been saying he's on pace for (laughs) 17 interceptions. I believe the two-game interception game, like he just had today, keeps him on that pace of 17 interceptions because yes, he missed that game last week, but here we are. He made up for it. He got two today. Um, Let's go back into it though. Poyer is showing that they are probably, they're going to come to the bills. They're going to come to the front office and bean and tell the, I told you so. And beans not really going to be able to do anything about it. If, if Micah Hyde, as we know, is coming back in 23, 23 and 23, right? He tweeted it out. I cannot wait to see Micah Hyde wearing a Bills uniform once again. This right now, if he continues this, almost tells me the discussion we had in preseason, Josh, was we'd be okay watching him walk. I don't know if we're sitting in the same spot anymore here. I'm pretty sure it's going to be like, hmm, there's probably some game still in him and we probably got to pay him for a few more seasons at his face value here because uh, we can't afford to let a guy like this loose. Or you, I mean, there's the other part of it of if we don't pay him, just accept that we don't have that kind of guy to elevate that he's already proven he can elevate around himself. 
It's just you're going to lose big time production if you lose a guy like Poyer and he's just showing it in spades of how valuable he is to this team as a leader and as a player and what he can bring. Um, man, I mean, there was one point in the game, he gets that second interception, they cut to the sideline and he looked like he was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. They obviously talk about how he's getting x-rays. He goes to the stand afterwards. I believe you just told me off air here. He is says he's fine. Um, it just, he seems good. I mean, he literally looked like he was about to cry on the sideline mid bills, final drive of the game. So I don't know what happened, but he's a dog. Right. He is just a beast of a human being and he is very, very valuable. I can't pump him up anymore. The whole situation with him in pain, he deserves every penny he has thrown his way. And yeah, when it comes to the end of this year, Super Bowl or not, man, like I just want to make sure one more time already it's on record. What we said in this preseason, clearly the situation has changed. I don't feel as freely about letting Poyer walk because I don't feel like paying him. No, he might actually be worth the money that he's asking for now because he's putting it on tape. He's putting it. He's putting the proof in the pudding here and showing everyone that he is just as valuable individually as he is together with Micah Hyde. And there's nothing we can do or say otherwise or nothing we can do that says otherwise. Like we we cannot prove that that is not the case. It's clear as day. Poyer is a beast. How they, you know, another McAfee thing, how they keep, you know, saying no pro bowlers on this defense, yet he's an all pro safety. He's just proving that the all pro thing means more. Oh, yeah. He is worth every part of that. And uh, yeah, he he deserves all all the accolades he deserves everything positively sent his way hopefully he keeps healing up and getting better as well throughout this season and whatever's going on with his was it the foot during this week but then he also was dealing with the um is it shoulder arm yeah, he had a big brace on today on his elbow yeah, i know um, yeah elbow that's what it was I, I was trying to remember the arm injury um you know whatever's going on he heals up and gets better and better which is just hard to even imagine because he's still playing even with everything going on at a very, very high level. It's just, he is very, very valuable. He is at that level, as you pointed out with Von Miller. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say it, Gregory Rousseau, uh, the linebackers, we're just going to put Milano and Edmonds together. I mean, these guys are essential to this defense. Mm -hmm. They, they, they mean more to the defense and this team than a lot of other guys. And they just make the machine work that is the buffalo bills defense they are very 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 valuable and poyer is absolutely a staple in those people another guy who is thought of as a staple of the defense is ed oliver and he missed his third consecutive game this week uh, with what was uh, reported this week as an actual high ankle sprain it seems like the bills are being very cautious based on some of the stuff banged up bills has tweeted that um, if ed oliver is going to miss again this week Um, That would be kind of on the long end of the high ankle sprain. I applaud the Bills for being conservative with that. You look at the Bills' next opponent, Pittsburgh, a game that the Bills, I believe, are nine and a half or 10 point favorites over. You could even see a scenario where if Ed Oliver is not 100% right, you say, hey, Ed, take a seat this game. We may not even need you against Pittsburgh. Another defensive tackle still battling it is Jordan Phillips. Um, Sean McDermott came out this week and said he's week to week with that hamstring injury. I would not expect him back for the Pittsburgh game. Maybe their goal at this point is to get these guys back for Kansas City. Good news on Christian Benford came out this week. Um, 
he is not season ending. Um, he's having surgery on his hand, should be back after the bye week. That is great news. Um, Tredavious White, after today, is now eligible to start practicing this week. I would not look for Tredavious White to play upcoming against Pittsburgh. This just means he can start practicing with the fact that Dane Jackson and Kyrie Elam held up so well. For all we know, there's no injuries that came out of the secondary in this game, particularly at cornerback. I don't see a reason to rush Tredavious White back, but we will get to see him back on the practice field, which is huge. And uh, Luca, maybe the Bills should stop signing veteran cornerbacks who played for the Colts because uh, Vontae Davis didn't work out so well. And now Xavier Rhodes signed signed on Monday or Tuesday, injured his hamstring on Thursday, and now he is on IR. I didn't even know IR existed for the practice squad. That was something that I found out this week. Um, Xavier Rhodes is going to be out for the next four games. It's just quick. Like We don't have to have a conversation about Rhodes. I think his value is still there in all seriousness. I think he's a good fit for this defense, and I think he's somebody that not necessarily now, which obviously if he's on IR, he's not going to help now, somebody that the bills are going to be happy they have on their practice squad. If later in the year, they have another rash of injuries at cornerback to be able to dust him off and put him out there would be very good coming out of this game. We already mentioned Jamison Crowder got hurt. He was seen in a walking boot. That's and on crutches. That's never a good sign. He's probably going to be out for a while. As as uh, Luca mentioned, Jordan Poyer had x-rays. He said he's fine. Just got the, the wind knocked out of him. Banged up bills brought up a good point, which would actually talk uh, go into the point Luca brought up about Poyer looking like he was in terrible pain. It could be a rib injury, which you would obviously not want to see. That could be something to monitor. And then Isaiah McKenzie is in concussion protocol coming out of this game. Uh, big win for the Bills. They knock off the Baltimore Ravens, a team that they look to be fighting with as one of those top teams in the AFC as they juggle position. And let's look around the rest of the league now, Luca, as it was a very interesting day on the out-of-town scoreboard. And um, right off the bat, the New York Jets defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the story for that game with the Jets losing or the Jets winning, Pittsburgh made a quarterback change midway through the game. Mitchell Trubisky was pulled in favor of Kenny Pickett, who came in and on his very first throw as an NFL quarterback throws an interception. I guess the defense was ready to pick it. And uh, the, oh. he liked that. He did have two rushing touchdowns. Oh. Zach Wilson <laughs> brought them back. The Jets score 14 points in the fourth quarter, win 24 to 20. Neither one of those teams are very good, but one of those teams is heading to Orchard Park next week. The one and three Steelers. Tough decision on Mike Tomlin's hands, Luca, because when you pull a veteran quarterback in favor of your first round pick, you're thinking, okay, now it's just time to let the first round pick get out there. On the road against this Bills defense, is that the spot you want to start your rookie quarterback? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> so I pointed this out uh, earlier today to my bud when we noticed, you know, of course, it was on a lot of the TV's Red Zone channel, all that stuff. Oh, who is that on the field? That is good old Kenny Pickett. Um, apparently, a report came out from anonymous insiders and stuff like that, that Mike Tomlin was the only guy in the Pittsburgh organization, whether that's players and coaches and front office that still wanted Trubisky starting. That's concerning uh, extremely. And that game was, of course, see, 
this is the whole thing. The game was not a hand. The, it's not like the offense was abysmal. Just nothing special was happening either. And it felt like either something happened where someone came down and was like, you got to play picket in the second half. There's no questions. Or Tomlin just finally recognized the moment in this game and was like, something needs to change. We're at home against the Jets and we're kind of in a dogfight right now. Like we can't be in a dogfight. It didn't end up working out. Pickett does run in for two scores. Um, theme of the day, Daniel Jones, Pickett, quarterbacks that can't throw touchdowns, but they sure could run in. Um, look, there is no turning back now. That That's where the Steelers find themselves. It's just... <sighs> Can I interrupt you for a that. second? Kenny Pickett had three interceptions in this game. Yes. I had no idea. Yes. Oh, it people are acting like it's a given that Kenny Pickett needs to play. And this is kind of where I was. I, you know what, Josh? Great interruption, actually, because it paints the picture that I'm trying to explain to people. Yeah. You can't turn around anymore because now you've played your first round rookie quarterback that the fans and everyone wants to play. But he didn't play well at all. He ran in two scores, but he threw three picks. Look, the first pass was kind of a, you know, threw it up into double coverage. And also Claypool had alligator arms or T-Rex arms, didn't want to reach out for the ball. And the defender made a great play. You know, it's, it's um, what you call it, tipped and then eventually intercepted. Let's, let's put that one aside. You know, whatever. It's, rookie came in, throws that ball. The other two, though, weren't great. And, um... Now you're going to put him in an environment where the Bills are coming back off of a big win in the AFC, understand the severity and where their standards are at. And this defense, even with some injuries, potentially is getting healthier, healthier for one, like Phillips could be back. Oliver could be back. Things of that nature. They're getting healthier and they're hungry and already playing well. And now you're putting this dude in that environment. By the way, we are the Nansen Romo game next week. I don't know how Bills Steelers is the national Nance Romo game. <laughs> Look, Baltimore uh, Bills was not. Uh, Miami Bills was not. But boy, when you looked at that card, it was Bills Steelers. And this needs to be the Romo Nance game. And now you're going to put this rookie in that environment. Oh, geez, dude. Like. If any Steelers fans are listening, welcome. Um, I would buckle up for a very, very interesting performance if Pickett is starting in this game on Sunday at 1 o'clock in Orchard Park. By the way, uh, it's the first regular season game at home in Buffalo at 1 o'clock. And this, this, this place just feels like home and is everyone's comfy and the fans are riled up tailgating from 8 a.m. at one o'clock games. We, that's our bread and butter from all the years where that was basically all we got here in Buffalo. Um, there, <laughs> I don't know what the weather report looks like, but if it's sunny, you're going to have a bad, bad time because they're going to kill you. Kenny Pickett, you're going to have some problems. And this is, this is the point of my argument that I want to wrap up with. This is why Tomlin, one, should be respected as a great coach, and his opinion on the quarterback situation should have been regarded higher than anyone else. I feel like Tomlin had the foresight and understanding of, and this is not a new take, I don't think, by any means. I feel like we hear this in national media and stuff. Tomlin understood the slate early on for the Steelers was difficult. 
They also have a very bad offensive line. And you probably want to try to get through. I think they have a week nine by. I think they're the Halloween week. So what is that? Week eight? They have a bye Halloween weekend. I'm almost positive because someone that is a Steelers fan that I know of is getting married that weekend. Um, and he chose that Sunday for that reason. So they have a bye. And then week nine would be the second half of their schedule, I believe, looks like it's divisional games, but also gets a little easier. And maybe that's where you can ease Pickett in. And that would be strategically something that makes sense. But now Tomlin, unfortunately, has succumbed to the pressure of everyone else for whatever reason. And I'm not going to blame Tomlin for that. Like something clearly had to have happened because I feel like Tomlin is a guy who wouldn't just be like, you know, his assistants or the owners or whatever are getting at him. But it probably just got to a point where he had to play him. And now you're in this predicament where he's going to be at the Bills week, you know, his first start. And I believe they play the Ravens coming up real soon. Like you cannot be throwing this rookie with a poor offensive line into those kinds of games right out the gate. This is something that could kill the development of a player such as Pickett. Like, hey, more power to if he can come out against those teams and look good all of a sudden, that's great. But what we just saw in a half of football against the Jets, oof, 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 oof. That's it's not pretty, man. Not pretty at all. And by the way, this is probably a great point just to wrap up. Kudos to you for picking the Jets, man. Like yeah. I lion squirrel finds a nut. Yeah. I, I thought the Steelers and a proper organization and a great head coach like Tomlin would figure it out. Maybe with Mitch Trubisky, they would have been able to seal the deal. Just saying, but, um, there's no turning back now, man. It's pickets the guy. Well, so you mentioned the schedule and we're not going to spend too much longer on the Steelers, but the fact that they play the bills next makes it interesting. One thing to keep in mind, TJ Watt is on IR and I just I looked at Sports Illustrated. He's not eligible to come off of IR until after week five. So there's no thought that he'll play in this game. If Pickett starts this game against the Bills, he goes Bills, Buccaneers, at Dolphins, at Eagles by week. The, oh my goodness. <laughs> there aren't many quarterbacks. I don't know if Josh Allen would. I mean, Josh Allen's a unicorn, but I mean that. You don't start fantasy quarterbacks against the Eagles. You don't start fantasy quarterbacks against the Bills. Those are two of his next four matchups. And then you have the Buccaneers and Dolphins mixed in there. I think the Steelers are probably going to try everything they can to keep Kenny Pickett off the field. But I don't know how you do it because like Lucas said, once you let the toothpaste out of the tube and bench the veteran for the rookie, it seems like at this point there's no turning back. That is interesting. Those are not our problems, though. What could be our problems are the Kansas City Chiefs. They look very strong tonight. They're winning 41 to 24 in Tampa Bay over the Buccaneers. About seven and a half minutes left to go in that game. A couple other highlights from the out-of-town scoreboard today, Luca. Tennessee Titans with a big win over the Indianapolis Colts. You saw that coming. I did not. The Titans crawl back to two and two after starting off 0 and two. The Colts fall to one, two and one. But the biggest thing there for the Colts is they have played three division games so far, and they have zero wins to show for it. And they have a short turnaround this week when they play the Denver Broncos on Thursday night. The Broncos fell to the to the Las Vegas Raiders, who get their first win of the season, thirty two to twenty three. So the Broncos and Colts, both playing on Thursday night football, could be out there without their two star running backs too. Javante Williams is certainly out as he looks to have a long term injury on his knee. Devastating. Hate to see that. 
Jonathan Taylor got banged up for the Colts. He has not been effective this year, by the way. Got banged up by the on the Colts game. It sounds like the short turnaround could really complicate his ability to be healthy in time for that game. And then one more out-of-town scoreboard I want to point out is the New England Patriots with Brian Hoyer starting at quarterback, and then Bailey Zappi, who you're not going to convince me is not a direct clone of Mac Jones, comes in because Brian Hoyer gets hurt. The Patriots were game today in Lambeau Field, losing overtime 27 to 24. Those are some high marks. Um, the the all oh, the the Vegas charge actually the Vegas Chargers, the LA Chargers win 34 to 24 over the Texans. And I do want to point out one more thing, Luca. Even in defeat today, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars might be pretty good. They went toe to toe with the Eagles in Philadelphia in awful weather conditions. They lost 29 to 21, and that's after they just romped the Chargers last week in LA. I don't think the Jaguars are great. I think they might be good enough to win that division, though. Um, how much did you watch of that game? Uh, not a lot. Okay, so score does not paint the picture. Uh, <laughs> they went up fourteen nothing early. There was a pick six involved, and then the Eagles, I mean, just controlled the game. <laughs> okay, it, was, it look there's something to be said in what you were trying to get at with that, and I agree and i see where you're coming from and all of that the jags definitely could win the south right now like that is a legitimate thing that they've been at least the most impressive out of the teams and that that division stinks first and foremost mm-hmm. like just the tennessee titans aren't anything special and they just beat indy who really has a problem on their hands don't want to bury the indy right now they got a short week but uh jonathan taylor's hurt and you look like you don't know how to win a football game in the division uh and you luckily I mean, their only win to date is uh, Chris Jones telling Matt Ryan, you know, something that caused a flag that gave them a win. That is, oh boy. Um, yeah, I mean, there was interesting results, though. Uh, props to the Jags. I Look, yes, the Eagles definitely probably should. If, there's, if it wasn't as bad weather as it was, Josh, um, that the Eagles would have handed them a bigger, fatter L. Uh but could look, you're dealt the cards you're given. You got to do what you got. They at least got they got back into the game. So that's kind of what happened. Like they they were up 14 nothing. Then just the Eagles started, con- you know, really controlling majority of the middle, you know, the meat of the game. Then they got one touchdown later in the game that brought it to that score line. Um, really stinks that they had to lose by eight and not by seven. That screwed up a lot of my bets. Oh no, at all. Um, but uh, overall, like. This was an interesting week. Uh, kudos to me for after the Chiefs win this go. I'm going 13 and two going in Monday night. Not a big deal. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have much to say. Look, Bailey Zappy, baby. <laughs> like, I guess honestly. we should. I guess we should hit on the Thursday night game because the Dolphins yeah. lose. Tua could be out for a while. I have no idea what's going to happen there. But just, you know, we figure a week ago we lost to the Dolphins. We knew we were going to play the Ravens. And now, like, in four short days, the Dolphins get a loss. The Bills beat the Ravens, and they're tied again at the top of the AFC East. So all that concern about the Dolphins being the team in the Bills' way, now records are tied, and they're going to be without their starting quarterback for a while. Yeah, there's no concern. I mean, look, hey, you got it. As we talked about last week, you got to give the Dolphin Dolphins their props. They did win the game, however, in – in whichever manner they did um Tua first and foremost man that was t- 
terrifying. Like that was very, very, very scary. I wish him the best. I'm, I'm going to say this right now. I cannot believe he was flying with the team home. You know, obviously we've, we've seen all the takes and stuff. We don't have to go into that, but just the fact that he wasn't just held overnight for evaluation, that's the one really one thing that blows my mind. Um, yeah, but football wise, we're back. We're look, you know, what's funny, Josh, I was thinking about this preseason. We did our, our season long, uh, predictions and, um, this doesn't really go into like out of town scores, but we're now sitting here at three and one, the dolphins are three and one, but this is exactly where both you and I predicted us to be just, you actually predicted the win loss. I predicted us losing in Baltimore, but winning in Miami and I feel just as good as if I felt like if we didn't have that devastating loss in Miami and if Tua would be fine right now, but also Tua not being fine, just it doesn't make me feel any different because I'm not going to say this about the Dolphins because Tua has been very good this year until that injury. I don't think, I think the one thing that I will respect about McDaniel is he at least knows how to devise to the stre- uh, devise an offense to the strengths of its strength of his players. And um, Teddy looked decent in that Thursday night game that I think that offense can still move the ball on a lot of teams in the league. Um, They're definitely a team that I don't think is going to fall off too, too much. They're going to be the team we expected them to be more. So a little bit, I guess in the preseason because Tua was elevating them just a little bit higher than we expected. But Mike McDaniel is at least going to, work to Teddy's strengths and get the things that they need to do. I do want to go back to Bailey Zappi though. Bailey Zappi was moments away from winning a game in Lambeau when they were plus 350 money line dogs. I mean that nine and a half point dogs like yeah I, I he might be Mac Jones's twin. Is there a quarterback controversy in New England? Possibly. I don't does Bailey Zappi act like he just got shot in the leg on a high ankle sprain? I don't know. Like okay that's a little too <laughs> but um, yeah, look, New England's dead first and foremost, unless Bailey Zappi is like the next Tom Brady and, uh, Miami is going to be Miami. I think, I think if anyone's saying they're going to dr- fall off, don't be surprised if they don't, that Thursday night game should have shown you that they probably won't even, it feels weird saying that in a loss for them, but I think Teddy actually showed that he can run that offense well enough that they can at least stay in games, be in games and make things happen. I mean. Tyreek was still just as useful as ever before. Things were happening in that game. Like they were very close to still winning that game. Um, Yeah. I mean, overall the NFL slate kind of the bills won and then everything else around them happened in a good way. Let's just, let's just, this was a very good week for the Buffalo bills. I could have used Tampa Bay coming through tonight, but that is not going to happen. Even though Mahomes just threw a terrible interception and then also tried to tackle the guy out of bounds, which it's like, dude, you're up by 17 points with four minutes left. Just let him return it. Kansas city was an underdog in this game. Let's, let's not forget that. Not on this show. Well, yeah, no (laughs) 11 in confidence. I'm staring at right now in this game, but Kansas city was an betting underdog in this game. And actually Josh, right before kickoff, it was plus 110 money line. It was the highest the line had ever been, which tells you money was flooding in late on Tampa Bay. Uh, that is going to change. Kansas City, I'm very, very excited for that week six game yeah. against the Chiefs. Where that betting line is going to be and what's going to happen because the way the Bills and Chiefs are looking, oh, 
we're going to have to buckle up. Luckily, we don't have to talk about that game yet, though. Thank thank goodness. So let's wrap up the Dolphins point very quickly. If if Bridgewater has to play, say, for the next five games, that would seem to be on the extreme end of things. But you don't you know, you never know. It was a very scary situation. This is a favorable point of the schedule for the Dolphins to endure that their schedule could keep them in the race. They go Jets home to the Vikings. That'll be tough. And then home to the Steelers at the Lions. And then they play Lucas Bears. So that that's a situation where the Dolphins, even with Teddy Bridgewater, could go four and one, three and two and definitely stay afloat in the situation that they're in. Um, all right, Luca. Just one last final thought here, and we don't have to get into it too deep. I, I know, you know, the Bills have two games left until they're by. They play the Steelers next week, then they play the Packers or the Packers. They play the Chiefs before they go on their bye week. I think that's that show of the bye week is going to be a great show to have big picture conversation. What's it looking like? But I will say, when you looked at the Bills schedule when it first came out, opening up on the road against the Super Bowl champions in their building, coming home on Monday Night Football, playing the AFC number one seed Tennessee Titans, going down to Miami to play a Miami Dolphins team that you know has been gunning for the Bills for the last two years, built their entire team around trying to beat the Bills, and then going to Baltimore and playing a team that most people consider to be a top two or three team in the AFC it was a situation where, and then obviously you stack on Pittsburgh next week and then going to Arrowhead the week after that, I have maintained all along. If the Bills can get to their bye week at four and two, that is championship level football. That is very quality football because when you look after the bye, there are so many very winnable games. Every game is winnable for a team as good as the Bills, but the Bills are going to be heavy favorites in so many games after the bye, assuming they can stay healthy at key positions. The Bills now, with the win today, not only now hold a tiebreaker over a team in the Ravens who very much could be in competition with them for that number one seed in the playoffs, but they are now a essentially a home win against Pittsburgh that the Bills are a 10-point favorite in from a, accomplishing that goal of winning four games before the bye and essentially going to Arrowhead with house money I don't want to call it house money because if they can win an arrowhead and get to five and one with wins over the Ravens and the chiefs, all we're going to be talking about during the bye week is the fact that the bills should be the one seed, but the bills had they lost today, we would have had, we would have been talking about how they let another one slip away and now they have to win in arrowhead. The pressure is off now, no matter what happens, assuming they take care of business next week against the Steelers, spoiler alert, that's going to be a very confident game for Luca and I on our confidence sheets. The Bills have survived this onslaught of injuries, this very tough schedule, and assuming they get that Steelers game home with a victory, they are going to be exactly where we want them to be at the bye week, if not better, if they can back it up with a win in Arrowhead. And Luca, that's a great feeling. No, oh, phenomenal feeling. I also want to just give you an even better feeling. You said 10 point favorites. They are 14 point favorites right now <laughs> against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I swear uh, I said yeah, nine it, earlier. Is it just it money just coming in on the bills or did I just mess no, that up? No, no. It, it, that line changed very quickly. I think I saw earlier uh, Matt Perino or someone tweeted out that they were 13 and a half point favorites. I just went on to draft. This is through DraftKings Sportsbook. Not my normal. I normally am a FanDuel guy just for the record. Anyone out there. Uh, but DraftKings has it listed at 14. Um, yeah. High on the confidence. Um, hopefully they can get it done. Look, any given Sunday, we know what happened against the Patriots or Patriots, the Steelers last year, week one, anything can happen. No. Let's just, let's just pump the brakes just a little no. bit here. Right? All gas, yeah. no brakes. 
no, I'm with you, man. All gas. But us, let's just say they win that game going into Arrowhead. It, I feel like it's still going to be a very hyped up game. You still want the Bills to win. Everything like that needs to be said. But a four and one Bills team going into Arrowhead, which then you have a bye right after there. Like it's almost like a light at the end of the tunnel too, with all the injury situations going on. And you finally have that, that early bye week that you're like, Oh, why do we have an early bye week? Now it's like, Holy shit. Can we just get to the bye week, please? Um, that Arrowhead game might be as least stressful as possible. Is that, can I say that? Does, am I allowed to say that? Can, can you feel not stressed out about a Bills Chiefs game? Yes, there are, you know, one seed implications we would assume on that game, all of the above, right? But as you pointed out, once you get through that bye week, once you even get past even more so the Packers, it is a much easier slate on paper. Let's just preface that one more time. Any given Sunday, things can happen. But on paper, it's a much easier slate that there could be a serious run for this team where maybe even a loss at Kansas City is not something we cannot overcome with playoff implications. So we always want to win every game. But if we can just take care of business, we'll call it, against Pittsburgh at home next week and go into that Kansas City game, you know, kind of with the mindset of, as you said, it's not house money, but kind of let's just go with my saying of stress-free or as stress-free as possible, you know, win loss four and two was that line that I know you had said. I was also willing to say that was the floor. We seem to be at the point where that floor is becoming more and more of a reality going into the buy. And that's a great feeling too, in regards of, this team is accomplishing what we expected in the preseason when we were living in a world that as fans, we had never really lived in before. And that's awesome, right? Betting Super Bowl favorites are getting the job done when they need to. That's awesome. And I love, love living in this, this reality that is the Bills being a wagon of a team in the NFL. If the Bills had lost today, they would have been two and two. If even if they beat the Steelers three and two, they'd be three and two going to Arrowhead, trying like everything they could to not fall to three and three at the bye. Think about what else this win today does. It takes out some of the desperation in the game for Arrowhead. Look at a guy like Jordan Phillips. Look at a guy like Christian Benford. Look at Tredavious White. Look at Ed Oliver. These are very important players that factor into this team being in a championship window. The Bills have bought themselves more times with those injuries if they feel the need to buy themselves that time. If Jordan Phillips is 90% going into Kansas City, take the week off. We'll see you in two weeks when we play Green Bay. If Tredavious White is 85-90%, take the week off. We'll see you in two weeks. The Bills, as they were today in Baltimore, could very easily go to Kansas City and win. I'm not saying that the Bills are going to lay down. What I am saying is this win today bought them insurance as far as not having to put all their chips into that Kansas City game. If they had lost today, you're talking about having two AFC losses, one to the Dolphins, 
one to the Ravens. And then if they lose in Kansas City, you have tiebreakers lost across the board with teams you're going to be competing for for playoff spots. Today was so huge. Now they can be, I think they're going to continue to be conservative with injuries. I would not be surprised if they let, they let Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips go another week and maybe even two and to bunch it up against the bye week and build in three. This team, assuming they have no more serious injuries coming out of this game, which we'll see what happens with Jordan Poyer. It looks like Jamison Crowder is going to be out a while. We'll see what happens with Isaiah McKenzie and concussion protocol. But otherwise, they're going to get more of their guys back. Nothing too, too serious popped up today. And like Lucas said, the bye week is two weeks away. You get to the bye week, you get your guys back, and you go on a championship run. It's all on paper at this point. We're still at the very beginning of October, but it's all setting up beautifully. Luca, any final thoughts on the Bills on week four, on anything on your mind, football-related or even non-football-related, I guess? Um, Bills, thank you for doing everything we wanted you to do up until this point, even with adversity you know, in front of them. Um, NFL around the league, Cliff Kingsbury, pack your bags, get the hell out of Arizona. You're useless. Um, bears, you actually stink how you have two wins. I do not know. I'm trying to rattle off more here. Uh, if you, nah, life's good. Life's good. If you had to put money today on the first coach to be fired, who would it be? Matt rule. I agree. Matt rule is useless. Awful. (laughs) His dumb face when they like the, so they scored that garbage time touchdown with Baker Mayfield. We're going to end here. We're going to talk about Matt rule to end this podcast. Cause why is not, why not? Um, uh, they score a garbage time touchdown. Christian McCaffrey, by the way, looks like a wide receiver as he like rotates in air, grabs it up top, high points it, boom, turns around, touchdown, you know, Bob's your uncle. And then they don't recover the onside kick. Arizona runs out the clock and they zoom in on his dumb face. Like, how did this happen? Kind of look on his face. And it's like, how did this happen? Because you are really useless at trying to run an NFL organization and team. And you have, you are so out of your depth in the NFL, get back to college, bud. Cause you do not belong at this top level. You are useless. Uh, after Matt rule, cliff Kingsbury, please fire him. Like I, that's just me being wishful, but just fire this guy, dude. No, actually my second would be Frank Reich. And my third would be Nathaniel Hackett. And yeah, I'm willing to say Nathaniel Hackett. That dude is also just useless. Um, but yeah, no NFL was a good week. Of course, cherry on top or all the ice cream and toppings was the bills winning over the Ravens. As you said, massive win for the team and organization with this season and what we kind of are trying to achieve here. Um, but yeah, life's good. And I am very, very excited to, you know, get back to this next week when we can talk about hopefully another win as we beat the Steelers at home with a rare early season home game this season. <laughs> the Steelers are up next for the Bills, and we will be on the air next week. We'll be bright and early Monday morning, wherever you listen to your podcast, to talk about whatever happened in that game. And we would like it for you to keep it locked into the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. We will keep you up to date on all Bills news, all Bills injuries, and get you ready for the Steelers game. And Luca and I will be back on Monday morning to break it all down. We will see you next time on Bills Chat.